This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as we read it together in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Summary of the articles we, we read together, I guess the articles that we read together are a summary of this truth in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. You can see it's in the context of Paul writing to the church where he instructs the church in verse 6 that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And then verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the focus of our confession we read today is on the free will of man and how much ability we have after Adam and Eve's fall into sin to use the unique gifts that we see in ourselves. Since we seem to be part of the process of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, because we are the ones who need to make decisions about our new life, many people question the teaching that Adam and Eve's sin has affected their lives. And they believe that we are all born with the ability to either reject or accept God's grace. And in order to evaluate these teachings and not to go beyond what is written, we need to return to the Scriptures and ask the question, what kind of people did God encounter when he came to the earth to save his people from their sins? What did he see here on the earth? Were we willing and capable of choosing for him as the Arminians we confess against in the Canons of Dort were teaching? Or were things really bad and getting worse? The passage we read in Genesis 6 makes it clear that the children of Adam and Eve who fled from God's visit to them in the garden were on the verge of being destroyed for their increasing wickedness and rebellion. Noah was only spared because God graciously established His covenant with him and his family, which was based on His promise in Genesis 3 to bring a Savior. And then when our Lord Jesus came Christmas time. What kind of world did he encounter? Well, we read the world did not receive him. John chapter 1. You could think of the inn where there was no room. Or you can think of King Herod who responded to the the coming of, of the mighty king by trying to kill all the babies. And then we read throughout his life people were trying to, to kill him. The Jewish leaders and the Romans. Those who did believe came to this faith by the grace of God. And we see that because God revealed Himself in the Scriptures. And then again, through angels. Zechariah received a visit from an angel. Mary and and Joseph and the shepherds. And then we we see that others came to believe. They they heard His his powerful voice who called them out of darkness into His light. We can think of Paul who by nature was fighting against God and and trying to to persecute the church where God came to him with a special intervention. 
The Scriptures are clear that no one can come to the Father if the Father Himself does not draw Him to Himself. So if we compare all our potential, all our abilities, all our desires to a vehicle with its occupant driver, the Lord Jesus is saying that ever since the fall, those vehicles will be inclined to only take us farther away from God, down the hill away from God, unless God intervenes and changes their direction. This means that if you are seeking to worship the Lord today, if you, if you have understood the call of the gospel and you bow your knees before the Creator of heaven and earth, this is evidence of His grace in your life. And you confess and we say together the theme of the message, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, everything we have, we have received from God out of mere grace. And so we learn not to trust in the totally depraved, to trust in God's grace and be saved. Although both the Reformed churches and the Arminians agreed that humankind had been seriously affected by the fall into sin, the Arminians had a much more positive picture of Adam and Eve's descendants. So in the 16th century in the discussion, if the Arminians would use the, the vehicle illustration, they would say that although the, the body of that car got rusty and the steering wheel was, was locked so the car was going in the wrong direction, the driver in that car still wanted to go back to God. In their teaching, when God looked down to, to earth in His pity, He saw people who still had potential to turn back to Him if they chose to. There was enough left in the car, in the vehicle, we could say, to, to make a return to God possible. They, they would say, well, the, the car could still break. It was possible to still unlock the steering wheel to, to turn it around again. A, a person could start the engine again. They could be motivated to, to turn to the Lord again. They could take advantage of the kindness of God who had shown them, the, the kindness God had shown them when He allowed them to retain some of the, the potential in themselves and even provided that bridge across the chasm back to God, that bridge Jesus Christ, the Savior. They were noting that people needed to accept Jesus as their Savior. That's something that, that people do in a conversion. They, they decide to, to follow Jesus Christ, except that they taught that God was waiting for people to come to that conclusion and then rewarding them afterwards by, by helping them along to turn around. Now such an explanation would have been and would continue to be very convincing just by the things that we see happening in our lives and in a conversion. It would have been very convincing if the Bible had not taught us in Romans 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin are death. And Paul says we're dead in our sins. It would have been convincing a Psalm 51 verse 5 hadn't revealed that everyone is conceived and born in sin. Because, as Romans 5 explains, all people are included in Adam and Eve's fall into sin. 
the explanation of the people in Noah's day that we read about in Genesis 6. The conclusion that we read in Jeremiah 17 that sin is etched on the hearts of sinful people that makes it clear that when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they set the rest of mankind on an irreversible trajectory away from God. The end result we read in the New Testament, Colossians 3, is that our entire beings, our, our hearts and our minds and our actions have become overcome with sinful desires, desires of the flesh. So that, says Ephesians 4, we are no longer free to make choices that make, bring us closer to God on our own strength because, as we read in Galatians 4 this morning, we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When we fell into sin, the Bible tells us we, we lost not only the ability to do good works, but we also lost the desire to want to worship God. Because what happened in the fall was that our sinful natures took hold. Our, our natures changed so that instead of wanting to glorify God above all, we started to focus on ourselves and wanting to glorify ourselves. So, to use the illustration again, we confess that all mankind's hum uh, steering wheels were locked in the opposite direction and their engines only propelled them further away from God and their brakes could only slow their momentum down a little and rust began to take over the car, making it fall to pieces. And the drivers are hell-bent to get away from God because they believe that this is best for themselves. And even if someone provided a way for fallen humankind to, to turn back to God, whether it be that bridge across the chasm or the unlocking of our steering wheel to make repentance possible for us in our fallen states as scriptures we would neither know how to use the, these gifts or even want to return to fellowship with God again the Bible says dead it means dead in our sins and in our confessions we refer to this article 3 as, as our total inability or sometimes our total depravity and the word depravity focuses more on our moral corruption, our inclination to do wicked things. The word total in this context means pervasive. It's used to describe the fact that no part of our being is left untouched or unaffected by sin. And you can see that in that first article where it speaks about every part of our being and it touches on what we do and, and on what we think and even our emotions, our affections, the thoughts of our minds, our worldview and perspectives, the desires of our heart, the things we spend our time doing with our hands, every thought and every feeling and every deed is tainted as a result of the fall into sin. Our hearts, minds, and wills, we confess, are incapable of any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in sin, and slaves of sin. So that outside of God's miraculous, gracious work in our lives, 
No one will nor can return to God, reform their depraved nature, or prepare themselves for its reformation. That's a hard teaching. It's a hard thing for us to accept, to grasp, because even means even children who are born are unable to choose for God until God chooses to reveal Himself to a person through His Word and Spirit. And so we confess the total inability of man, speaking of his pervasive, every, every part of his being, but the word total should not be equated with the word absolute, as if there is absolutely no good thing left in any human being, as if every unregenerate person is as morally corrupt and wicked and rebellious as is humanly possible. In fact, we confess that people retain some notions about God, about natural things, about the difference between what is honorable and shameful. People still show regard for, the, for virtue and outward order. Sometimes this light of nature is referred to with the words common grace or common favor. And as we look around at, at all that amazing talent of so many unregenerate people in the world, the cities that have been built, that the music that has been made, the technology that we, we see, the tools that have been invented. And when we consider the many relatively good things that people have done, making sacrifices to save others and acts of courage and bravery and loyalty, it's clear that unregenerate people are not as harmful to others as they possibly could be. It's not the, the most morally corrupt possible in, in the earth. It's not what the Scriptures teach. The fact that the principles of the Ten Commandments are evident in many justice systems around the world. They underlie the cultural norms and expectations of, of many nations. So harming another person's reputation unprovoked is, is generally frowned upon all over the world. Well, that confirms what Paul already wrote in Romans 2, verses 14 to 15. Ecclesiastes also talks about how God put eternity in the hearts of man so that we're not surprised that it is a part of our human nature to have, one author described, a God-sized hole in our hearts even after the fall into sin so that we're, there's an inclination to, to, to find satisfaction in our misery. When we seek to talk about, to others about the triune God, we may find it useful to point out some of the evidence of God's fingerprint that we can see all around us in, in creation. That every human being has a particular shape and form because we have been created in the image of God that made distinct from the animals of the earth. We can find so many common features of human nature across all cultures in the world. The things that all people recognize by, by nature what is good and what is bad, or what is, what is more healthy or less healthy, or what helps the quality of life or what doesn't. Those are important starting points for conversations with our neighbors about the Creator of all things, the Father of heavenly lights. 
God's revelation in creation, which declares His name in a message without words, says Psalm 19, whether it be in the majesty of of the scenery around us, or the motherly love that is understood almost worldwide, even, even in the animal world. It can also help in highlighting the existence of a divine creator who knows the people he made, who speaks to our very hearts. However, as much as we appreciate and we use these gifts that are scattered throughout the world, which reveal a bit of the the fingerprint of God's creating genius, we must at the same time remember that even these gifts are not enough to bring a person to saving faith in Jesus Christ unless God Himself works that faith in people's hearts. That's the heart of our confession in the first five articles of chapter 3-4. The vestiges and the little remaining lights of the amazing way that God created us are not to be confused with the free will to choose that, that we had when we were made before the fall into sin. And nor can we trust those little lights and glimmers to be enough to guide anyone to God. Even in the rusty car that's coasting down the hill away from God and the bridge, you may notice little vestiges, little fingerprints of intelligent design and perhaps little small signs of paint at one time or a steering wheel that once turned the car still still there. Whatever you see, these little clues of what used to be. No matter what you see, whatever is left, it's not enough to help you get back. In fact, you wouldn't even know how to use it properly. In fact, they only reveal how far away we have come. As we know, confess about the law to it. It's there. It exposes our guilt. The vestiges, these remaining glimmers of how things were made, they they make us thankful that things are not worse than they are. They make us praise God that He restrained the evil one from destroying everything right away, but they are not things that can bring you to a saving knowledge. Although we tend to get excited when we see these things, especially among the unregenerate people, and especially now that we have, our eyes have been opened and we can see the connection between these glimmers or these lights of nature and, and the Creator, We need to remain realistic in our analysis. We need to be very careful who we put our trust in. The light of nature, creation, the Ten Commandments may give some people a a knowledge of the existence of God. Read Romans chapter 1. But they are inadequate to bring people to a saving knowledge of God because people need God's Spirit to change their hearts, to stop suppressing that truth in unrighteousness and to begin submitting and loving and following and devoting themselves to God as Adam and Eve had done in paradise before the fall. We can thank the Lord that He does not just leave it up to people to figure out how to use these mere glimmers of light of nature to come to Him 
when their hearts are so darkened, when their hearts prefer the darkness over the light. Be thankful that God steps in to do more. And so as we think about this, we, we realize how important it is not to, to fool ourselves, to fool ourselves into thinking that, that there's enough within us to do enough good to save ourselves. That very thought becomes very oppressive. Just ask the reformer Martin Luther. We also see how important it is not to, to turn to anyone who, who does not have the Holy Spirit in the hopes that they can, can bring you out of darkness and into light to show you the way. And so we must continually evaluate the books we read that claim to give solutions for our misery that do not come from God's Word. The darkness is very dark. Our corrupted wills and hardened hearts can never turn to God on their own ever since the fall into sin. But in this darkness, the gospel shines ever brighter. We confess what the light of nature and the law cannot do. God does. God performs by the Holy Spirit. And we see the command to trust in God's grace and be saved. In spite of this fall into sin, in spite of this change from from being created in the image of God and able to do all things, and now this change into an enslaved will and rebellion against God. The gospel is that God did not change. He was not changed by humankind's fall into sin. God revealed that even lost sinners could be saved by His grace. And so into the darkness and into the blindness and into the futility and into the perverseness and impurity of fallen souls, a voice could be heard calling to humankind, announcing the way of salvation in God alone. A voice could be heard calling to mankind even as they were fleeing away from Him. The voice came from the God of heaven who created the heavens and the earth. And that voice shone as a light into the darkness explaining all things, where the world we live came from, what purpose God had created man for, how people could escape God's judgment and again be received into favor. This special revelation was not given to all people in the world. We, we confess, we sing that in Psalm 147, but only those to whom God in His sovereign good pleasure and undeserved love decided to send it, both in the old and in the new dispensation. In the Scriptures we read about how God spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to the patriarchs and, and Moses and how that was written down in the Ten Commandments and the prophets who, who passed on God's message for, for one nation out of all nations of the earth. And later that same Word became incarnate, became flesh when the Son of God took on our human nature and our Lord Jesus displayed the glory of God in word and in deed, all of which was further explained by the apostles. And today we have God's Word in a book called the Bible that has been translated into the language that we speak 
that is available to anyone whom God in his sovereign pleasure and undeserved love decides to send it. The Bible announces the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in Jesus Christ. This word is the instrument that God uses to change the hearts through which He effectually calls everyone whom He has chosen before the foundation of the world. You see what's happening? If you hear this word being explained and taught, you are very privileged. God is working in this world through this word. And we confess He speaks this word in all seriousness because it's completely serious. It's, it's His announcement. It's, it's true. There is salvation for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Everyone is called to repent and believe. It's pleasing to God when, when those who hear His word come to Him. The truth about who God is and how He saves sinners through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, that truth does not change. Even though everyone who hears it is not elect, it's the same serious call. The description of a life of fellowship with God defined by observing the Ten Commandments, that truth remains the same in all its seriousness, in all its urgency, no matter who hears the message. The seed that is sown in the world does not change based on the kind of soil that it lands upon. And when we share the gospel, we never really know how God will bless the seed, but the word is the same. It's unchanging. It's serious. It's an urgent calling. And our job is to participate in the sowing work of God according to His calling. For us, practically, that means being involved in some of the outreach pro projects that are, our own congregation is supervising and involved in. And so we participate in the sowing of the Word of God. And then we can stand back. We can watch in amazement. And joy to see how God uses that word to fulfill His purposes. Even adoring Him as we confess for the severity and righteousness of the judgments of God that we know we also deserve. And yet praising Him with humble and grateful hearts for the mercy and grace that He shows to everyone who may hear His word. And to us who believe. What a blessing. Every time you read the Bible, maybe you're visiting someone in the hospital. Maybe you're visiting family. Maybe family is visiting you. Every time you, you open that Word of God and, and you read it, the seed is being sown. This is the means that God uses. And it is a gracious act of mercy to allow that Word to be known. In the parable of the sower that we read together, our Lord Jesus explains that it is a great privilege to hear the gospel and to respond in faith. When we consider how many people in the world never hear the Word of God, and how few people, even those who have received so many gifts, how few people respond in faith. We see that it's God's grace alone that we believe. It's a humbling, humbling message. And you can see that we're emphatic 
when we confess that God has done everything. It's in Article 10, the last part of Article 10. Your faith is to be ascribed to God. He has chosen His own in Christ from eternity. He calls them effectually within time. He gives them faith and repentance. He delivers from the power of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of His Son. God is at work in our lives from eternity. Interaction with that word of the Lord changes people so completely. It's like the cars are are picked up and turned 180 degrees into the right direction again. So that we praise the one who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And next week we will, we will look a little bit more at how God brings this 180 degree, this conversion in our hearts. But for now, we could praise God for deciding to work this change in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, if you are a vehicle heading towards God, in humble thankfulness for the gospel message that is completely a work of God's grace in your life. And you will want to praise Him every day. Every morning you wake up. Every, every time you, you speak to the Lord, you, you want to praise Him, to thank Him for His grace to you, for His kindness, for His patience, so undeserved conceived and born in sin, inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor, we are not more deserving of God's grace than any other human being around us. You go walking around and and you meet so many different people. We are not by nature any better. And we can include the most miserable of lost sinners who are famous for their horrific Deeds against society. Fallen into sin like us. Dependent on God's grace like us. May we learn by the apostles not to go beyond what is written. That none of us may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And as we reflect on all this, we can only conclude with that famous saying. The man many years ago. His name is Bradford, said, speaking to a criminal, leaving the conversation, he said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And you can put your own name there. There, but for the grace of God, goes Julius, goes your name. And so we confess together that although by nature we are like vehicles locked in the away from God, position on a highway to hell until our gracious Heavenly Father stepped in and intervened. The message of John 3, verse 27 that that John spoke, that was the display text as we walked in, it states the truth for all of us. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Brothers and sisters, let us rejoice that God loved us so much That He did not leave us heading further and further away from Him. And that He stepped in and He intervened out of mere grace. Like we saw this morning. The Lord, our mighty King, 
came down from heaven to sit with me, to save me, to make me a new creation. And we say it together there, but for the grace of God, go I, go I, who was once completely unable to even think about or desire turning to God, now hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Go I, not any better than anyone else, but made pure in Christ's blood. Go I, now eager to declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called us out of darkness and put us into His marvelous light. Go I, not boasting in ourselves, but in the Lord. For what do I have that I did not receive? Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 146, stanzas 1, 2, and 3, a psalm urging us to give all the praise and the glory to God and not to put our trust in prince or ruler or a man, however wise. Psalm 146, stanzas 1, 2, and 3, standing if you're able to stand.